Mac Power Users, episode 468, Mixing Macs and Microsoft with Christina Warren. Welcome back to Mac Power Users. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Good, good. Very excited today. We've got a fun guest on the show. Looking forward to talking to her. Yeah, our guest today, and I know she's listening, but so just take this with a grain of salt, but uh, one of my all-time favorite technology writers, I think the way she looks at things is unique and super smart. And we should, I just want to talk about that and talk about what she's doing now. So Christina Warren, welcome back. Hey guys. So happy to be here. I, I was telling you, Christina, before the show started, my sister, who is not a tech person, when you did that video a few years ago about uh, FOMO or fear of missing out with the Apple Watch and you had to get one. <laughs> yeah. It's my, my sister, who, who doesn't read anything I write, doesn't listen to any of my podcasts, but she found you <laughs> and she thinks you're super cool. And then I told her that you were a friend, and then now all of a sudden I have some street cred in my family. So, so thank you. You're, well, you're welcome, and that's actually very flattering. I I, uh, I love it when I um, I'm always still. It's weird. I'm, I'm still after all these years, and I I bet you guys are the same way. Even though you have like thousands of people listening to your podcast, it still always feels weird when I meet someone who says, "Oh, I've been following you since whenever. I read all your stuff, or I really like your your work." Um, Sometimes it, it, it's really nice to hear that because even though we know, like, realistically that people are hearing what we're doing, it still doesn't quite feel like, I don't know, you put it out in the void on the internet. You don't really know um, if there's ever anybody out there, if you're ever going to get the opportunity to meet people who actually read the things that you write or listen to the things that you say. And so when you do, that's always really awesome. So true. I mean, we're just nerds in front of microphones right now, but there's, there's a few people out there listening. So, uh, it's been a while since you've been on the Mac Power Users, uh, and when we, we had you before, I felt cheated a little bit, because that was the day Apple had the earnings call and you had to run, so we didn't get, get a full episode with you, and um, um, we, uh, we want a full episode with you, because you've got a lot of great ideas, and, and your life has changed a little bit since the last time we talked. It's a little bit, yeah. So, what are you doing these days? <laughs> So um, I guess when we last talked, I was a, uh, a senior tech correspondent at Mashable, and then I became a senior editor at Gizmodo, and now I uh, work in developer relations at Microsoft. Yes, the official first Microsoft employee on the Mac Power users, and I can't can't think of a better and, one. And look, honestly, nobody was when I announced it on Twitter. So I've been there. It's been about. Uh, 20 months now, I guess. And when I announced that I was leaving uh, media as, as a full-time gig, I, I still get to do podcasts and I still, you know, write some of my own things, but it's no longer like my, my living being a journalist. Um, and I announced that I was uh, going to Microsoft. I mean, the, the internet reaction was really funny because people were like, wait a minute, wait, what? My nickname is, is C-Mac, as in like Christina uses a Mac. And, and people that I worked with didn't who knew me as C-Mac, they didn't all necessarily know the origin of that nickname, but they just knew that that was my nickname. And so the the idea that C-Mac would, would go work at Microsoft um, in, in a different decade, even a few years ago, would have been like, you know, a, a few years before I, I joined the company, would have been one of those like hilarious, like laughable ideas. And I still sometimes, it's funny. It's funny, like the ultimate, like, Apple, Mac, you know, uh, iOS, you know, fangirl, you, you know, person is is working at Microsoft. But it's true. I am. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's really kind of an unfair thing for Mac users to be hard on Microsoft, at least at this point. Um, I used to give them a really hard time about Office when we first had the Switch um, over to the Intel chips. It, it felt like for a couple of years, it was like they were asleep at the Switch over there. But I remember the old days of Macworld, how many Microsoft Mac developers would show up for Macworld. And those people, they were, you know, rabid Mac users. Yeah. And, and that's still the way, you know, the company. So we obviously have, you know, we make Mac software, uh, the office team being being the most significant part, but even um, the, the Visual Studio Code team and, um, you know, people who are working on other parts of the company are, are working, you know, we have a, a very, very big iOS team, you know, for all the different uh, products and services. And and so, uh, but I think even before that happened, yeah, you had like that contention of the people who worked on those things were like hardcore, you know, Mac developers um, just happened to work at Microsoft. And, and the company has changed a lot since Satya Nadella took over and, and, uh, and Apple's changed a lot. And, and the you know, the world has changed a lot, but I think many people still th- still see things in like 1997 terms. Mm-hmm. And even though it's 22 years later, it's it's still, you know, for better or worse, a lot of companies still kind of fight like their historical images. And so if the one of the most frequent questions that I, I have, you know, when I started working at Microsoft and I started working there in 2017, the very one of the, the first, you know, joke that people would make and everybody thought they were so original. They were like, are they going to make you use a Windows phone? And like at that point, the it wasn't <laughs> even actively, you know, developed. I don't think it had been officially. Yeah, the, the war was over. Yeah, I don't even I don't think it had been officially announced that it wasn't going forward, but it, it was it was like not the, the mission. And and uh, I was like, no. You know, I mean, like I, I went into my interview wearing an Apple Watch and using an iPhone and, and, you know, had my other stuff. And they obviously knew who I was when they interviewed me. And there was like no question about that. Um, and but even for me, when I had my choice of laptop um, uh, for, for the first team that I was on, because I, uh, I was on a, a, a different team very briefly. And then I moved into the, the team that I'm in now in cloud advocacy, um, working on, on Azure. Um, they asked me what laptop I wanted, and I was told I could choose a Mac, um, but I was also given a choice of, you know, like a, a, a service book. And I felt not like I was forced to take a service book, but I felt like that's the right move, right? Like that that's what everybody else will be doing. So just go ahead and take a service book. And then I got there and I realized that my uh, uh, colleague who uh, was kind of my counterpart doing the same job, but with a different focus area was using a Mac. And I saw more and more people with Macs. And I was like, oh man, I I, I could have picked a Mac. And when I moved teams, um, I was joking with my new manager. I was like, so, uh, so can I get a Mac now? And I was just kind of joking. He was like 13 or 15. Um, so, and I would say about, about probably 80% of my team, uh, uses MacBook pros as their primary machines. Now, sometimes, now that doesn't mean that they run Mac OS exclusively. They might run, you know, Linux, uh, virtual machines. They might, uh, run, you know, windows, VMs, whatever. Um, but, uh, probably 80% of my team uses Macs as on, on their work machines. And the people who use windows, they do it because they want to use windows. People who use Linux do it because they want to use Linux. Uh, obviously, if you're working on Windows, you know, you're going to be using Windows, but it's actually an environment where you use the technology that works for you. You use the product that works for you. You know, we, we are standardized on Microsoft Office, obviously, but um, even within our own organization, um, we use some third party tools, you know, for collaboration and things like that that um, work better for us. So 
the the interesting thing that I didn't know going in and that even when I first started that even I had those misconceptions was, oh, I'm going to have to work a certain way or change my workflow. And certainly parts of my workflow have changed, right? But I mean, I have a a, a work-issued MacBook Pro that I am now, I'm, I'm currently in the middle of doing a bunch of um, international um, uh, stops on a, a, a tech tour, the tech conference uh, tour series that we're doing. And I'm presenting um, from my MacBook Pro. Like, that's how I'm doing it. Yeah, when we were, I was just up in Seattle a few weeks ago and you and I missed each other because you're, you're a world traveler yeah. now. We're going to talk about that later. Um, but the... Um, there were several Microsoft employees that were listeners of automators that, that came in and it's the same thing. I, I think you're probably not the last Microsoft employee we're going to have on because the, these are some really smart people that are just using the heck out of their Macs. And it's good to see that that's, that's really not changed. I, I told you the other day on the phone, I, I'd share it again on the show. I feel like that, you know, those old days of Microsoft windows versus Mac, it's so irrelevant at this point. Um, if anything, I feel like Microsoft and Apple in a lot of ways have more in common against the rest of the industry because now it's more of a business model dichotomy. You got the people who make money by selling ads and the people who make money by selling software or hardware. And in that way, Microsoft and Apple are a lot closer uh, than they are to each other than they are the rest of the industry at this point. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, Microsoft's business has expanded um, beyond just, you know, Windows. Uh, obviously, Windows is still a, a big deal. And, and, and um, you know, uh, Microsoft makes, you know, the, the Surface, uh, you know, line of, of, of hardware products. Um, but I mean, specifically the area where I work in, which is Azure, is, is all around cloud services. And in that case, we really don't care what you're doing. You know, I mean, most of, just as many of our virtual machines are running Linux as they are you know, Windows and running them very well. I mean, every uh, Azure VM that I have or container or anything else uh, is is based in Linux. And the same thing goes, I mean, we have uh, Microsoft acquired uh, a company called uh, Xamarin and um, which, you know, built like a cross-platform, uh, you know, code editor to build Android and, and iOS apps uh, using uh, C Sharp and, um, or, or Mono, which was the open source implementation of C Sharp, but uh, C Sharp itself uh, is .NET rather. Uh, Mono is the open open source implementation of .NET, but .NET itself is now open source. But anyway, but um, you know they bought uh, Xamarin and, and renamed it, you know, Visual Studio for Mac. And so there are a lot of mobile app developers, especially in the enterprise, who are developing iOS and even Mac apps, you know, using that. And then we even have things like, a, you know, um, the company Hockey uh, was, was acquired by Microsoft a, a number of years ago, and it's um, morphed into um, like a Visual Studio um, App Center and some other things. And there are some interesting tools where people, even if you're not using like the, the .NET stuff, if you're like just native iOS or macOS developer, you can do testing of your apps, you know, using our cloud services. And a lot of our APIs and things that we're writing are, you know, like platform agnostic. And so the way that that Microsoft as a company kind of looks at things is much less focused on we need to keep everybody just in our own vertical ecosystem, which was how it was maybe, you know, uh, uh, seven or eight years ago. And it's now much more like we want to create the right tools and the right platforms to help developers, you know, build the best things they can, and then to offer, you know, end users the best experience they can get. Um, I actually had a really interesting conversation about a year ago with some members of the uh, Mac team uh, for Microsoft Office about the, uh, you know, 
11 year plus journey of unifying the office code base because there had been a period of time when things forked um, because there had been a time when, when, uh, when, when the code base is forked and um, you know, this very, very long process of um, unifying the code bases back together. So at this point, uh, Microsoft Office on on Windows, Mac, iOS, um, and uh, Android is all running on, and, and the web is all running on the same base. There are obviously native elements and some differences in, in some features um, across those apps, but it, it is the same basic code base. And it was a tremendous effort uh, that that took the, the Mac and the iOS team many, many years to get right. Uh, but I think even then, like you see that even taking on those things, it ends up with a better overall user experience, better compatibility, more native, depending on, you know, you get the native experience no matter what platform you're on. And that's kind of been the the going philosophy uh, for the company since a couple years before I joined, but, but certainly um, now that I'm there. And that's been really cool to see um, as kind of an outsider and, and somebody who used to cover the tech industry and, and do a lot of analyses to kind of, and, you know, I'd heard a lot about the changes happening at Microsoft, but then to actually see those, those changes happen. And then as an end user, you know, actually get to see the benefits of those, of those changes. But to your overall point, yeah, I mean, I think that Apple and, and Microsoft are more alike and are more synonymous in many ways and, and kind of that, you know, are we competitors in certain ways? Sure, just like any other tech company. But I think it's it's very complementary in many aspects because you know I don't my my bosses don't care if I'm using a MacBook. You know, like if and and, and frankly, if I'm writing code for the web or if I'm I'm doing something else, like it doesn't really matter. You know, like what what platform I'm using. So all that stuff has paid off on the consumer side too. Just look at something like Office for iPad, which is an incredibly great product. Like it's 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 really, really good. And they have all this stuff tied together with Office 365. And like they have built uh, an ecosystem now that if you're a consumer, you can just use Office wherever. And, you know, the people we were talking about earlier who may be stuck, like it's 1997, it'd blow, their, it'd blow 1997, like Microsoft users' minds that they their platform would be basically everywhere. But I think it's I think it's paying off looking at the way people talk about it and then the the numbers that they release. Yeah, definitely. And I mean and I think the products are getting better too. I mean, I was super excited and kind of surprised. So the way that we uh do stuff with with our office releases um at, at work, um you have an opportunity to install what's called like dog food releases. So you can get like the latest cutting edge versions. I typically don't do that on mobile because sometimes it's not always um, you know, as stable, but I do do it on um, desktop. And, you know, we got uh, Mojave dark mode support really, really early in the office release cycle. And now uh, it's supported across the entire suite, even the new redesign of, of Outlook supports dark mode. And, and so does, you know, PowerPoint and Excel and, and Word. And um, that's really cool. And, and just seeing like how quickly that happened made me as like a Mac user really excited. And I know that the team must have worked really hard on it. But into your point, I mean, and I, I'm not just saying this because I work at Microsoft, I, I was saying this sort of thing before I did, like, I think that on the mobile, especially, some of the products are, are best in class. Um, I put it up against anybody. I've been saying for, you know, three years, that the best Gmail client you can get in iOS is Outlook. Um, and, and I think that when you look at especially if you have Office 365, what you can do on an iPad Pro with Office, I'm just going to say it, I think it's superior to what you can do in Pages or Numbers. So 
you know, uh, take that for what you will, but uh, with whatever, with what, you know, inherent biases, I say, you know, saying that, but I, I think the, the, the experience is really good and that's ultimately really good for, for consumers. Yeah. I, I used to joke, you know, one of my bits when I talk to people is like, if five years ago, I were going to tell you that there, uh, there's two companies, Microsoft and Google, and five years from now, one of them is going to be a class A player on the iPad with the most recent software updates and supporting the most recent features. And the other one's going to lag behind like 18 months. Now, guess which is which, you know, who would have thought it would be Microsoft? Uh, that, be, that being said, as you were talking, it has dawned on me that now I have a window or a, an angle into the iOS Word team, the app I use every day for hours. So um, I'm going to start sending you lists. Just be warned. You, you can throw them in the trash. No, if you no. Want, I mean, I, I can't guarantee that I can get stuff done, but I do know people. I will put things in. I will put you in contact or I will send your, your feedback to the right channels. Let's just put it that way. So Stephen, are you now are you using Microsoft stuff that much at this point? I, I use Excel for a couple of things a month, sort of like closing relays, you know, into the month stuff. But we are basically all on G Suite at work. It was the better option when we started and we haven't really looked elsewhere but I, you know i keep office installed i do stuff in it but google is still the sort of my bread and butter day to day and and christina i don't think we've really explained what, what is it that you're doing to the extent you can talk about it inside that big company yeah no sure so i'm i'm a, a cloud developer advocate and so i work uh, on the developer relations team within azure and basically um most of our advocates are are focused on specific technology areas where they have expertise and they you know go into their communities which usually have been places where they've had big followings before, you know, they joined Microsoft and, and, uh, you know, listen to uh, both both share, you know, new things that are happening and, and cool technologies, uh, whether they're directly related to what Microsoft is doing or not, but also listen to feedback um, from from users and then work with the product teams. Because of my background, I'm more of kind of a, a jack of all trades, master of none sort of person. So I don't have a specific technology focus area, but I do um, do a lot of our video and content strategy. So um, I have a we have a YouTube channel, uh, Microsoft Developer, um, where we do a lot of developer focused content, um, you know, throughout Microsoft ecosystem and, and the web ecosystem. Um, and I do I do a, sh- a weekly news show on that, but I also you know um, uh, contribute to planning and, and looking at some of the other types of themes and things that we're doing when we do big live events like a uh, build our big developer conference or, or ignite, uh, which is one of our big shows in um, the fall. Um, I will do a lot of live programming, both interviewing people, uh, whether it's executives or um, it's other developers and, and it kind of explaining new things that are coming out. Um, I work with uh, our um, documentation team on creating videos for our learning platform where, you know, I'll, um, you know, maybe be like the talking head, you know, walking through something. And then most recently, what I've been doing um, is I, I work a lot uh, directly with them, the product teams, um, as kind of a conduit between what, you know, we're hearing from users and user feedback and um, what's uh, what, what they're working on. And so the way I kind of view my role is that I'm not necessarily advocating for Azure. I'm advocating for the user to get the best experience. And so that means if they're having a hard time doing something, I want to be able to take that feedback and I want to be able to make it better. Or if they're unaware that something is an option, I want to be able to let them know, hey, these are the things you can do. And some of these things might include 
our options. And some of them might include some other things, but I want them to know what's happening. And I want to make it easy to explain, this is what you can do. This is how you can do it. This is how easy or, or difficult it might be. Um, we'll talk more about some of my travel a little bit later, but one of the reasons I've been traveling so much is we've been doing this uh, event called Microsoft Ignite, the tour, where we've been going to 17 cities around the world and giving deeply technical talks on a lot of different topics um, across kind of uh, both uh, around Microsoft 365, but also really deeply around around Azure and developer-focused topics. And I've been um, giving uh, two talks at a lot of those stops, one on introduction to Azure and cloud computing and one on um, introduction to um, Azure networking. And so um, my job also includes, you know, when we have events like that, you know, working on creating the content, working with uh, my colleagues who, you know, help me with that and, you know, you know, finalizing the PowerPoints and figuring out what the, what the presentations are going to look like and figuring out demos and, and all that sort of stuff. And then of course, presenting um, the talks themselves. Uh, for for people who may not be familiar, uh, what's sort of the elevator pitch for Azure services? So, I mean, Azure is our cloud computing uh, platform. So if you're familiar with AWS or DigitalOcean or Google Cloud, that's that's what we do. And so we offer compute, meaning like VMs or containers or whatever, uh, networking and uh, storage solutions for the cloud. So basically, rather than having to maintain your own hardware and pay you know, for it um, and, and do your patches, you can use ours. And so if you're looking at, and we offer all kinds of different things, right? Like, like I said, uh, Visual Studio, you know, App Center is an option if you want to test your app um, on a bunch of different, um, you know, versions of, of, of iOS um, and a bunch of different screen sizes and you don't have all the hardware, you can do that in parallel in, in the cloud and, and deploy those builds and see how it's going to look. Um, if you want to build, you know, a website, um, you can, you know, use or a web app, you know, you can use whatever framework you want and, and use Azure to host that. Um, if you, um, you know, so, um, if, if you have kind of an existing application and you're an enterprise and you're looking to maybe modernize things and you want some things to be run locally and some things run in the cloud, you know, we off, we have, we offer options for that sort of thing too. So, um, we're, we're like AWS, but you know, Microsoft. How long has that been around at Microsoft? I know it, it, it's been around for a while, but it, it feels like it's come to prominence over the last couple of years. Yeah. So I think I would have to look. I mean, it started out as it was known as Windows Azure, and then it became um, Microsoft Azure. And I, it's been about a decade now, actually, I believe. So, oh, wow. so it's been around a while, but it really, I think, I, I would venture to say the naming or the initial naming might have had some, you know, um, uh, understanding problems with it. You know, people might have assumed that that it, it was only good if you were running, you know, Windows servers virtually and whatnot. Right. Um, and, and we've certainly expanded our services and our offerings a whole lot in the last couple of years. It's gone through a lot of changes very quickly. You know, obviously Amazon um, has, has a great product and, and they've been doing things for a really long time. We are doing our best to have equally good products and 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 in some cases, you know, even be industry leading for things like our our managed Kubernetes uh, service and and things like that. But yeah, you're right. In the last few years is when you start to hear like the analysts talk more about Azure revenue and and whatnot, and and it's become a, a bigger part of the business. And and that's because more and more companies are using the cloud because it makes more sense than owning, you know, uh, or renting their their own hardware and, and maintaining that stuff. And so. 
um, having a lot of data centers and being really good at managing those data centers and having services that will run well and efficiently and 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 whatnot is a good thing. So um, it's become a bigger part of the business, I would say, in the last you know five years. Really, the last three, we've seen a bunch of changes. And and one of the the challenges that we face as as advocates is that if somebody used the product a, a few years ago. Things are very different now. The the things change very quickly, and and both the fe- both in features and in capabilities. And so, trying to keep up to date on all those things, but also you know, um, hoping that people will give it a, another chance. That they'll take a look at it if they're you know going to use something else. Um, and then because we, it's more than just like you know hosting an app. We also have you know machine learning and AI you know frameworks to to do. Uh, stuff like, uh, you know, if you want to do that type of thing, and, and we have other cognitive services like, like you know, speech to text or, um, you know, uh, image recognition and, and stuff like that, there, there are a lot of different options. And so uh, trying to kind of let people know, hey, you can do this on Azure is, uh, is part of my job. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by our friends at Hover. Building your online identity has never been more important. And with Hover, you can find the domain name that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. So my blog's domain, 512pixels.net, is registered at Hover. It's been there a really long time. And that name means the world to me. I've been writing there for many, many years. It now is covering the YouTube channel. That name is just sort of where I am online. And I know that that domain is safe and secure at Hover because they really respect my privacy and they allow me to keep my domain separate from my hosting. So I'm not stuck with a hosting service that doesn't meet my needs. I really love that Hover has no upsells. They have a really clean user interface. Look, we've all been to those other those other domain registrars where they want to add a bunch of stuff to your cart at the last minute. Hover respects you and they respect what you're trying to do with their service. They don't do any of that stuff. And they have the best customer support team I've ever used at a domain registrar. So if you have a question about DNS or setting something up, you can contact them. You can talk to a real person who can walk you through it quickly and easily. So if you want to show the world what you're passionate about, Hover is here to help you make that first step. Head over to hover.com slash MPU and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. My thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Christina, we hear now you're using a, a MacBook Pro. Is it 13 or 15? It's a 13, 2017, 13 inch. All right. How do you like it? Um, I like it. I've had some keyboard issues, um, uh, as a lot of other people have, um, I have a at home and what I'm actually recording this on right now is I have a 2017 5k iMac and I love that. That's one of my favorite machines. You know, it's funny how nobody can talk about the MacBooks at this point without the caveat of the keyboard. It's like, well, it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, so, I mean, like I was saying, 80% of my colleagues have this laptop and last year, I mean, especially it was kind of one of those things where you would see, you know, certain people trying to kind of like downplay the severity, in my opinion, of the issue. And and I was saying, I have six colleagues, you know, who have had to have their machines either replaced or repaired. And that was in a very brief kind of time period. And these were all, those were all 2017 models just before, you know, they redesigned things for 2018. And, uh, I've certainly, you know, had the thing where I've had to, you know, blow the 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 um, compressed air, you know, under my laptop and whatnot. I, I'm glad I haven't had a show stopping incident, but 
on, you know, if, if you're typing for a living, whether it's programming or writing or, or anything else, having a keyboard not work is sort of not good. Yeah, my daughter's iMac just died. It was a, it was a 2011, so it's ready for death. But the yeah. uh, and there's a really funny thread, by the way, in the forums on oldest Macs running. And I, I disqualified Stephen because he doesn't right. Know. But but the um, I felt targeted by that. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, but replacing it, I thought, well, you know, she's going to be going to college in a year. Maybe I should get her a MacBook Pro. And I'm like, oh, wait a second, I just want to wait and just see what happens because I don't want to send her somewhere across the country and have a keyboard failing on her. And it is it is sad that that's kind of where we're at with with one of Apple's premier products. But anyway, so you're using a 13-inch MacBook Pro, and then I am. Are, you, are you? And and you said you're on iPhone. Which iPhone are you on? I'm on the iPhone uh, 10s Max. All right, Team Team Max. Uh, like so many of us on Relay, it's the only way that I could like convince myself to get the new one. You know, yeah. Um, was I was like, well, I'll get the bigger screen, and I actually really do like it. Um, are, are are you also on the Max? Yeah, I think Stephen is too. That's a little complicated. I, oh, I have a Max. Okay, okay. But I picked up an iPhone XR recently, and I really like that. And I, I, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. We are going to have to talk about that at some point in the future, Stephen. <laughs> and then are, are you using? And then you're using an iPad as well. I am. Yeah, I have an 11 inch um, iPad Pro um, uh, that uh, I got myself for my uh, for my birthday. And um, I have an Apple Watch uh, Series 4. How do you like the, the new iPad? I love it. I love it. Um, I'd had, I didn't have the 10 and a half inch model. I had the 9.7 inch. And so um, I love that it's basically the same physical size, but has way more screen real estate. Uh, the Apple Pencil is, I mean, it actually makes sense now in terms of, you know, being able to just quickly pair and kind of connect and charge. I really like that. Um, and uh I don't love the uh, smart folio case. I didn't get the keyboard case. I just got like the smart case. I don't love it because the magnets don't feel quite that strong. And I wish that it was like the old style where it would just kind of, you know, like be inset in. I preferred that. Um, and, and I think that for, for what it costs, it's a little bit overpriced. But uh, I love the machine. My only real complaint on the iPad Pro at this point is that I, I don't feel like the software is been able to take advantage of the hardware's capabilities. I feel like we're kind of hamstrung and, you know, um, and that's, that's like, cause you know, it's so powerful. You could do so much on it. You could replace your laptop with it, except you can't, uh, because you know, the, the, uh, software ecosystem and, and kind of the, the sandbox stuff just isn't there. Um, at least, at least not for me, not, not for my use cases. I could do email and I could do, you know, um, uh, editing PowerPoint fine. Um, I can't do anything, you know, in, in, in code, um, unless, you know, I'm, I'm doing kind of a browser based thing and, and that's not ideal. You know, I, the, the terminal stuff, uh, is, is okay on iOS, but it's, it's not, you know, as robust as what I would need. So, um, but, uh, it, it's but you know the hardware is good enough. That's that's the that's the frustrating thing. You're like just let me have full you know access to some of these things and in some you know mobile uh, first really powerful apps. I'm hoping maybe when Photoshop comes that will um, drive some things forward. Um, I would love to see Final Cut and Logic on the iPad. I'm kind of annoyed that neither of them are there. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. A, a question that sort of came to me as you were talking. You know, Apple seems to be unwilling to cross the line of mixing the Mac and touchscreen devices, right? We don't have any touch MacBooks. Yep. 
but Microsoft and its OEM partners are kind of leading the way in that. Like totally. the Surface, Surface Book and all this stuff is all. So having used one, like, do you have thoughts around bringing touch to Mac OS, like the pros or cons, or do you find yourself frustrated you can't reach out and touch the Mac where you can on your Surface or on your iPad? So it's weird, right? Because I feel like I'm such a Mac user that even though I have, so I have both the Surface Book um, and I actually bought a Huawei MateBook X Pro, which is like the best MacBook Pro knockoff ever, except it's way cheaper. Um, and uh, it was inexpensive and I was a little intoxicated at XOXO <laughs> and I bought it and I don't regret it. And it's the first Windows laptop that I've bought myself in, in years. I also got my husband a Surface Go uh, that he loves as a tiny machine. And it's interesting, right? Because in some ways, it is actually really useful, especially web browsing, to just be able to scroll by just touching up on the screen. And on apps, I think, that support it well, it's good. The problem is, and I'm I'm sure this is why Apple has resisted, is that if you don't get those touch points just right, it's it's not a great experience. Um, So sometimes I I even forget that I have a touch screen, if that makes any sense. And so I I don't deal with it. But where I do use it very frequently is obviously, you know, scrolling through web pages, trying to go kind of the next thing. It's very useful for presentations, especially if you have a model that will detach my my Huawei does not, but uh, my my uh, Surface Book obviously does and the Surface Go does. And so if you're, you know, taking something to a meeting, and you want to show something off, you can you know, just swipe through the same way you could on an iPad, but you have the benefit of having, you know, the entire full, you know, powerful operating system behind the scenes and not be kind of hamstrung. That's kind of, it's, it's sort of interesting. I, I understand, like, I guess the hesitance of, of bringing that over, but at the same time, I almost feel like if Apple's doing the marzipan thing and bringing these iOS apps over to Mac OS, then, you know, it's a matter of time and maybe semantics before we get something that, you know, some sort of desktop experience that has a touchscreen. Um, I, I feel like for better or worse, that's probably where things are going. Things can be improved. I mean, this is something Google's working on too, obviously with Chrome OS and, and with uh, their uh, Andromeda, um, uh, you know, kind of their next generation OS thing. And it, it's a tough problem, but I think when done well, you notice how useful it can be. And it's funny, I it wasn't until I started using, you know, my, my, my service book a lot more, that I would find myself touching my MacBook screen. But actually, even before that, the first time I ever touched a MacBook screen was when I was reviewing the MacBook Pro with touch with touch bar. And having that touch bar there made me like want to touch the screen. Yeah, um, it's so close. It's so close. <laughs> this is right there. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, it, it's an interesting problem, but uh, I, I, I would be very surprised if, you know... I've been predicting for years. I don't know when it'll happen. And I don't know anything. This is just my, me pontificating. But I do, you know, foresee, you know, a, a, an ultimate kind of merger between, you know, iOS and macOS. And I think if that happens, then you have to deal with the with the interface differences. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not still have like a primary mouse keyboard thing for one and, and touch for another. But um, it, if you're bringing over those touch-centric apps to the desktop, and we already see kind of the problems that kind of has you're kind of almost inviting well in this world these would work really well with you know uh, touch or at the very least pencil i don't know i can't help but feel like a lot of stuff that we thought was not on the table for apple is now on the table and 
I'm just really curious to see what happens in the next year or two in terms of those types of questions. Yeah, I agree. Um, so now, as I, you know, speaking of XOXO, I remember once you and I sitting in it out there on the field yes. <laughs> for hours and watching you do almost all of your work on your iPhone. I, you are an iPhone power user. Um, totally. And um, uh, is that still the case with the new gig? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like I was saying before, you know, Outlook uh, as a mail client is fantastic. And it's interesting. I still use mail.app. But I use it now primarily because I don't want to mix my work and my personal. And it's not that I that that I'm worried about, like the the inner mixing of of the two spheres, like I have access to my work email in the the mail.app. But I keep Outlook solely for work stuff, just because it's easier for me to compartmentalize. But that app is really great. And I love it because it's the calendar is integrated, which seems like such a simple thing. And I know other apps do it too. But it is for me, somebody who deals with calendar stuff all the time, really useful. Um, the office apps, I also, you know, use those. Um, our web, uh, the way our authentication works, you know, we we have a, a system called SharePoint, which is where people can share things. And you obviously have like online, you know, versions of, of documents and other things. And um, in some ways, it's actually easier to stay logged in in iOS than it is to have to, you know, reauthenticate over and over again um, on a desktop. So yeah, I still use um, iOS for a ton of things. I use uh, uh, apps like Drafts, Text Editor, all the time, especially when I'm writing scripts um, and, I, and I'm collecting things, and I might be like in uh, you know a, a, an Uber or a Lyft on my way to work, but I'm coming in you know later in the afternoon instead of in the morning, and I might be making some changes to um, the text file that I'm going to then send to the teleprompter, which uh, is an iPad um, that, that that I'm going to be reading off of, you know, and and uh, making those changes, and and I still yeah I still do a ton of stuff. On uh, on my phone, um, there's certain things can that I, I can't. Can I just interrupt there for one second? Sure. I think that was an interesting workflow. So, so you are capturing the text for your teleprompter in drafts, and then do you run it to the teleprompter directly from drafts, or does it go somewhere else first? I, I save it to uh, Dropbox because okay. the the teleprompter app reads from Dropbox. Gotcha. And then now drafts usually when you open it will give you, I mean, that's what the app is famous for. It gives you a blank screen every time you open it up. Are you doing that or are you like using drafts more kind of like in a traditional notes app capacity where you're going into existing drafts and working on those? Um, It depends. If I'm starting from scratch, then I will just open up the blank document and then just, you know, uh, welcome back to another episode of this week on Channel 9. I'm your host, Christina Warren, blah, blah, blah. Um, actually, so last year, a, a little over a year ago, I was uh, crossing the street in a pedestrian crosswalk. That's important to note. And I was hit by a car. And uh, go figure, I lived in New York for, for years, uh, never had any issues, was in Seattle for, you know, um, you know, less than a year and was hit by a car. And um, I was okay, but I broke my wrist, my right wrist, and I'm right-handed. And that made you know, the first few weeks I was actually in a splint where I didn't have any mobility of my hand at all. And, um, you know, I had very little use of, you know, my fingers even able to touch things on my phone. Uh, but, but that was limited, let alone using a keyboard. Once I got the cast, it was fine, but I was in a splint for, for, for three weeks. And, uh, drafts was really useful because I was using the voice to, uh, um, to a text, um, feature as well as some of the, other kind of shortcuts and things that I've built in over the years to be able to do one-handed editing. And without that, I don't know if I would have been able to, to, to do a lot of the script stuff that I do at work, honestly, because 
I, I've, I've never uh, cared more about accessibility and really realized how important that is until I had a temporary disability. And, and I've really become more committed to, you know, trying to keep my eyes open and, and pay attention to those things. But, but that was like an app and that workflow, like the iPhone workflow, you know, it's, it's hard to use a full computer or even an iPad when you are only one handed, um, it, especially if it's like a temporary thing and you're not, you're not used to it. Um, but with, you know, the phone, um, it was much easier for me to, to kind of, you know, still get a lot of things done. Yeah, you know, that's a, a big deal because nuance seems to be kind of, you know, leaving the premises with respect to Apple. And um, uh, uh, one of my favorite features of drafts is it has the ability to record dictation without a timer, whereas yep. every other app does it. I think it's kind of a trick that the developer pulled. I, I almost am hesitant to talk about it in the show because I know people from Apple listen <laughs> and I don't want it to like get shut down on it. But if you're having dictation on iOS, Drafts is probably the best place to do it. You still have to be aware of that timer because it kind of does a little like reset once in a while. Right. But if you're careful with it, it um, you can just keep going. And that, yeah. that is really nice. Oh, and that was the thing for me, right, is that a lot of it was I just wanted to keep going. And you're right. Those other things, you know, they, they time out and you've got to start over again. And and for my workflow, you know, like that just wasn't going to work. And so, yeah, so, so drafts was fantastic for that. Uh, and I and I use it, you know, I use it on, on, on the iPad as well. But on the phone, especially, it's just one of those things I just love to just power through. And either sometimes I'll edit existing things. Um, I, I have like a Dropbox folder attached to it that um is also connected to my various computers in fact even like my uh, windows machines that i have uh, connected to visual studio code and so all of my you know documents are in one place and that way i can just you know pull you know md files or or text files or whatever from drafts and just you know make edits or um additions or whatever and just to close the loop because i know people are going to ask us uh, what is the app you're using to run the um teleprompter text there are a lot of good uh, teleprompter apps um, on um, iOS, um, and this one actually has a, it's really good because it has a um, Apple Watch app, and so you can actually start from the Apple Watch, which is really useful if you're in a scenario where uh, you know your camera person is behind the studio doors and, and you don't want to have like, and, and you mess up and you, you want to stop and start again and you don't want to have to, you know, bring somebody else out there to mess up your camera shot, um, which is one of the things I use. Yeah, it's just called Teleprompter. I think it's like $10 for the for the uh, full version. And I really like it. Uh, I, there are some other really good ones. This one I didn't actually choose. It was one that uh, my colleagues uh, kind of picked. And then um, I, um, you know, started using uh, because of that, but I've I've come to really like it. Um, you can set you know the the the, the text size and the speed, and, and like I said, I really do like that Apple Watch feature because to be able to to pause and and restart from your Apple Watch is really useful. Because what I do a lot of times, I'm standing in front of a green screen, the camera is set, the focus is set, so I can't step forward and readjust things because then the camera has to be reset. And so usually somebody who's on the other side of the studio would have to, you know, come in and redo it. Um, but if, if, if uh, in a pinch or if I'm recording on my own, for instance, like if I'm recording from a hotel room, then uh, I can just restart the teleprompter that way, which is really great. Now we're going to put a link for that in the show notes. So because I know that they all have the same name and, uh, and I have struggled through that. I've been trying to find a good teleprompter myself. So, I'm looking forward to giving this one a try. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Luna Display. Turn your iPad into a second monitor for your Mac. Go to lunadisplay.com and enter promo code POWER to get 10% off. Have you ever looked at your iPad and wish you could use it as a second display for your Mac? Luna Display lets you do just that. And it makes sense, right? Your iPad already has a gorgeous display, and you can always use some extra space when working from your Mac. Luna Display provides crystal clear image quality, reliable performance, and wireless flexibility. You just pop a little piece of hardware into your Mac and you're good to go. And if you don't have access to a Wi-Fi connection, no worries, you can connect with USB. When using Luna Display, you can set up your workplace anywhere, so you can be productive at the office, in the studio, or even on a hotel room when you're on a trip. You get more screen real estate without the expense of buying a second screen. Luna also acts as a complete extension to your Mac. It's going to support your external keyboard as well as your Apple Pencil and touch interactions. So you can interact with your Mac with a swipe of a finger. I backed the Luna display when they went into funding immediately because I knew this was a product I would find useful. I keep an iPad on my desk next to my iMac all day and while sometimes I'm using it as an iOS device, it's really nice just propping it up and making it a secondary screen for my Mac when that's convenient. It just takes a minute to set it up and I use it all the time. Just this morning I was doing some work that required me to reference a pretty complex Excel spreadsheet. I was able to put it on my iPad with Luna Display, keep it right next to my iMac screen so I could have it there as I did my work. When I was done I quit the Luna Display app and then went back to using my iPad as an iPad. Listeners of Mac Power Users can get an exclusive 10% off on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter promo code POWER, P-O-W-E-R, at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com, promo code POWER at checkout to get 10% off. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So what about the iPad? You said you've got... Uh, one of the new pros, but where does that fit in at work or is that a device just at home? Um, it kind of depends. I don't use it a ton at work. I mean, I could, but it's primarily just kind of my tablet. You know, I watch a lot of movies on it. Actually, I would say this now that I'm traveling so much, it has become really useful just to have a great, you know, travel device if I need to access some work stuff, but I don't have time to do maybe, uh, maybe no have time is the wrong word, but maybe I don't want to drag out the full laptop, then it's really great that I can, you know, power through some emails or um, look at some other documents or, or, or pull some things up. Um, but if I'm being totally candid, I mean, I spent a lot of money on the iPad Pro 11 inch, I got the 256 model with LTE, uh, basically to watch Netflix. So, you know, I'm not the best person to, uh, you know, take power tips from. I'm not uh, uh, Federico uh, uh, or Jason Snell. Um, but uh, I do like the the new machine so much. It's really good. It's one of those things I want, like, to do more things on it, you know. I was on a flight recently, and I saw a guy with a 12-inch MacBook mm -hmm. you know, in the next row over. This is the smallest MacBook Apple makes. And even that wasn't really usable on an airplane because they've got the seats so close together and the tray and the guy in front of him was leaning back. Completely. And, you know, I think at this point, a laptop 
is almost not feasible on an airplane unless you've got nice seats. No, you're you're dead on. I mean, it's actually one of those things that I really like about the Surface Go is that it is. I, I used it on a um, commuter uh, flight from uh, between uh, Seattle and San Francisco, so one of the really small flights. So even if you have the nice seats, you have like no you know uh, tray table at all, and uh, well, because the nice seats are basically just like tiny bit more like legroom that fit like that that device fit on on the tray table but if somebody leans back you know even even those things are are a pinch so you're right like having you know like an 11 inch ipad is a really good way to to kind of get work done if you do that i do not have the keyboard i use like an external bluetooth keyboard because i don't like the apple keyboard case i'm waiting for logitech or somebody else to come out with something that I like better, but I just don't like the Apple keyboard case. I never have. And so I, I don't have that. Um, I know a lot of people like it. Great. It's just for, for tactile reasons and for the stuff that I do, I don't. So instead, it, when I when I need to type, I travel with like a, I have like a, a Logitech Bluetooth keyboard that I just, you know, keep in my bag. Okay. So I have to make an admission. I, I do like a lot of the Microsoft products. As I said earlier, I use Microsoft Word all the time for my job, but when it comes to presentations, you're going to have to pull Keynote out of my cold, dead hands. Don't blame I just, you. Don't blame I you. I love Keynote so much. But you're, no, Keynote's great. But you're using PowerPoint a lot. and I am. I, I got thinking, we haven't had anybody on the show that's been daily using PowerPoint, maybe ever. So so how is PowerPoint, and, and what do you like about it, and what do you not like about it? It's gotten a lot better. Um, so... It's interesting because if I'm doing a presentation that is not something that needs to be repeatable or that is, you know, where I'm like uploading the slides someplace, I I still use Keynote. Like that's that's still what I do. We even have kind of like a a template that some people on our team use that have some of our graphics and things that that is uh, organized, you know, that's designed for Keynote. We have one for PowerPoint as well. Um, But what I have to say, what was interesting to me is when I first especially was using um, uh, Windows a little bit more, which I was I I did more that the first six or seven months I was um, at Microsoft, as I was really impressed with how good PowerPoint was on Windows. Um, And even a year ago, it had still it wasn't quite parity on Mac. And there might still be some differences, but one of the things that I now really appreciate is that they're almost feature for feature parity. There's still some differences, but they're really close. And what I really do like, and, and this is, you know, a useful thing, I like that if I create a PowerPoint and have it just so and I do it on Windows, it's gonna look and work exactly the same way on a Mac and vice versa. Um and as much as I love Keynote, you know, if I have to, if somebody, if I have to give a presentation on a machine that's not um, a, a Mac, which is not uncommon, especially if you're speaking like at a school or something and you're not able to use your own machine, um, you know, converting that Keynote file to a PowerPoint usually means your fonts or something else will go wrong. And so I do really appreciate that consistency. Um, I also, you know, I don't really, um, I have some, some, you know, more, uh, uh, customized themes and, and different things that I've done. Um, there are probably some automated things you can do with, uh, with PowerPoint that, that I don't do. I'm not as much of a power user as maybe some people. Um, there is a new feature. I, there are some things I would like to tweak to it, but you can now, for instance, add like a YouTube link and make like a YouTube video, a slide. I wish that were a tiny bit better. But all in all, like that's that's a good feature. And um, as a design tool, I don't think, you know, you can use Keynote as a full-fledged kind of UX tool. PowerPoint's not quite there, but you can still do a lot with it. And if you are bringing in information from Excel or Word or whatever, 
um, it does work really well, uh, especially with Excel stuff. So, uh, but I think for me, the biggest thing is just the consistency, just knowing that it's going to work and look the same no matter where I'm at. And that's a big deal, um, especially if you're, you know, potentially presenting on a bunch of different machines or having to, you know, give content, upload content that other people are going to download. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I speak every year at the, the ABA, the American Bar Association, and of course, lawyers, most of them use Windows. And there's lots of, of really smart attorneys and presentation experts making some great stuff on PowerPoint these days. And I'm aware that it's come a long way, but I just I just haven't really had an opportunity to use it because I have such a, a strong skill set in Keynote. It's hard. That's just a whole other reason I don't want to have to go learn something. Well, that's the thing, too, is they're different. I mean, I've actually kind of come around to there's um, this movement, Brett Terpstra, is, is somebody kind of turning onto this, and some of my colleagues do this, too, where people will create slides and markdown and then use basically javascript to create their presentations and it's kind of awesome yeah there's a mac app deck set where you can which makes it really easy to take markdown files and make them into really good looking kind of simple presentations yeah but the problem with that i've seen brett do that and they're they are impressive but for me like all of my presentations are like it's a picture of an old car or something. And so a lot of my slides don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't write them in markdown, you know? No, totally. Well, I mean, where, where it's useful, I guess, is if you have a lot of code snippets and if you have a lot of, of you know, that sort of thing, because that can still be more difficult in um, whether you're using PowerPoint or Keynote, if you're, if you're doing code snippets and, and if you're wanting to show that sort of stuff off, it can be really useful. So, but, but overall it's been, you've been happy with it using PowerPoint. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. I, and I've been kind of surprised because up until this tour, I haven't really been used. I've never really used, um, you know, PowerPoint, at least on the Mac quite as intensely. One thing that actually recently changed and, and I used to blame PowerPoint for this. And then I realized it was actually a Mac OS issue. So I don't know how they got around it, but you, you know, I used to always like on PowerPoint for windows that you could export, you know, a presentation and have the fonts embedded. Uh, whereas you couldn't do that on Mac. And that was actually a Mac OS thing. And I don't know what changed, but now apparently that's supported. So you can, you know, when you, when you export a presentation or whatever, you can opt to, to have the fonts, uh, preserved, which is, which is really good. Um, because for me, that's always like the most frustrating thing. You know, if you're going to speak someplace, um, it's, you know, you have the keynote file, you have your fonts loaded, you have whatever, or you have a PowerPoint file and your fonts loaded and folder and like, you know, you need to make sure that it looks just so on, on the presenter's machine. So yeah. When I was doing jury work, um, I always like to use Keynote. One of the reasons why it's it's really unfair to Microsoft, but a lot of the people that are on the jury, they make, you know, they go to work and their bosses, you know, force them through death march PowerPoints, you know, and they're almost always in one of the basic Microsoft templates because that's what people at businesses do. So totally. well, I always felt like one advantage I had, it's totally unfair to PowerPoint, but uh, it's un and it's unlikely that they're going to have seen my presentation template before, right? And, Definitely, and it's even less unlikely that they're going to have. Did I just do a double negative? I don't know. Either way, it, it's it's even <laughs> less likely that they have seen their boss lecture at them with my template. <laughs> and I always felt like that gave me a little advantage. And, and it, it bared out because at the end, they would always say, oh, man, I really like your presentation. Can I get your your, your PowerPoint deck? You know, they wanted right. to take no, it back and definitely. use the template. 
I mean, I honestly think that's been one of the big things too, is like Keynote has beautiful templates and you can do it in PowerPoint. It just maybe takes more effort. Um, for, for, the, for the project we're working on, it's actually a very nice template that people designed and it, it is PowerPoint. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, um, like there are literally whole teams of people who that's their job is to, you know, create good looking, you know, decks repeatable for, for, you know, tours and for projects and things. And, um, you can do it on in both ways. It just depends on what you're more comfortable with. I mean, I, I look, like I said, for my personal things, I, I still use keynote, but I've been, um, you know, like impressed and uh, happy with, with how PowerPoint has come along. And I think that that parody aspect for me is really important. Um, That's a general impression I get too. I mean, it's just, it's a lot better than it used to be. Yeah. And I mean, I would also say, you know, the people that I work with are going to be sending me things in PowerPoint. And so it's good to be able to kind of view it natively. I don't mind, you know, you can open it up in, in Keynote or whatever, but yeah, it's going to work better in PowerPoint. Um, but also dark mode support. Like I'm just impressed with those sorts of things and having the YouTube, you know, slide support and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're good things with it so um i i still am with you i'm more comfortable with keynote but it's gotten good i've always been a word person um and an excel person uh pages is fine um but you know if i was gonna have to usually i use a text editor i don't even use a word processor but if i was gonna use a word processor i've usually been a word person uh but i've always been a a, a keynote person yeah and, and the template thing i was talking about earlier is a solvable problem if you if you're willing to pay twenty bucks, somebody is making a cool uh, template that you can buy off the internet for either application. That's true. Uh, I want to change gears uh, a little bit because I don't want uh, your Mac Power Users episode to go by without talking about this interview you did in 2015. I know that's a while back now, but <laughs> we don't get talk to many friends who get to interview Tim Cook. So if, if people aren't familiar with this, what what was this interview about, and how did that? How did that go? So it was amazing. So it was around, it was right before WWDC 2015. And uh, they had, uh, Apple had um, introduced a WWDC scholarship program where they gave uh, uh, people from uh, diverse backgrounds uh, who you know, didn't have experience coding. Some of them were kids, some college students, some of them, you know, like, uh, you know, women um, and, and men, you know, um, well into their kind of second uh, careers. Um, invited them out to uh, Cupertino, or not Cupertino, um, San Francisco, the Moscone Center, and and to attend WWDC. And Tim Cook surprised them um, on uh, kind of the day before the conference. And um, I was given the opportunity to uh, interview um, uh, Tim Cook about uh, some of uh, the scholarship programs, Apple's diversity efforts. And um, I used that opportunity to ask him, like, why we hadn't had women on stage at Apple events, uh, to which, you know, he told me, you know, you'll be really happy. Stay tuned for tomorrow. And, and sure enough, you know, the next day was the first time in, in I think, many, many years that a, a, a woman had been on stage, you know, um, you know, for engineering stuff um, at, at a, a WWDC. Um, and it's still kind of looking back on that moment. It was so surreal that I was, he was so nice. Um, I, I've interviewed, a, I've been very lucky in my career. I've been able to interview a lot of amazing people. Um, and uh, he was incredibly kind and uh, forthcoming, you know, and, 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 and funny. And we, we talked, you know, uh, when I called him on, you know, things like the lack of, you know, female representation on stage, you know, he admitted to it. It wasn't one of those things where he was trying to pretend like it wasn't an issue. So uh, definitely one of those kind of career highlight moments for me, for sure. He seems so sincere when you see him interviewed. I, Completely. I can't imagine he's he's putting on an act, but you never know. You never know. But honestly, I, I didn't get that sense. And and 
not to say that I that uh, my sense of those things is perfect, but yeah, it was definitely one of those. Uh, you know, he was he was incredibly kind because, like I said, I've I've been very fortunate. I've interviewed a lot of important people over the years, and he struck me as somebody who is really unique in that you very rarely see people of that position of power who are that um, a seem that sincere and down to earth, and b like he was focused on our conversation. It wasn't like he was you know, a million miles away. Um, and, and that was really cool. You know, a lot of our listeners, uh, very few are going to interview Tim Cook, but um, some of them are going to go into meetings and talk with people that have uh, some degree of power, possibly power over them at work or something. And you have done this uh, repeatedly for years. I mean, mm-hmm. you do it with a lot of the executives at Microsoft. Now I know you've done it with Tim Cook. Uh, what's some advice you'd give somebody if you're going to go into, not necessarily even for a press interview, but just to speak yeah. with somebody like this? Yeah. I mean, so the first thing I always say is to listen. Uh, the, for, the the best skill that I can always say for, uh, you know, being a good interviewer is you need to be a good listener because you you need to listen to the cues that they're going to be saying of what might take your conversation in another way. Um, for instance, you know, the, the Tim Cook interview is one of those where I didn't want to be combative and, you know, go directly to talking about, you know, why haven't there been women on stage? You know, if you care so much about diversity, you know, you don't want to like go into the, one of those gotcha places. Um, so to make it organic and not weird, you have to, um, listen to your openings. The same thing goes with anything else. You know, if you hear somebody talking about something that's really fascinating and, and it's not maybe getting enough attention or you're, you're confused about something, you know, circling back and saying, Hey, let's talk more about that. That what you just said there, that was really interesting. Let's, let's talk more about that. So I think listening is really good and listening for kind of your moments to um, maybe pick out something that might've been undersurfaced. Um, I think to uh, doing your research and, and knowing kind of what you're talking about. I've been in situations where I've interviewed people that I didn't really have a great grasp of what I was going to be talking about beforehand. And um, sometimes I've been able to fake it really well. And sometimes I haven't. And uh, it definitely is better when you have some sort of, you know, understanding of what, what you're doing going into it, especially when you're starting out. If, if you do it all the time, you get more used to kind of, you know, going on the fly. But especially if it's something for, for work and whatnot, you know, having um, a good research of, of kind of understanding what are we going to be talking about? What are the parameters? Um, knowing things that the person has talked about or done before can be useful. Uh, at the same time, don't over-research, if that makes any sense, because you don't want to be overly kind of pat. Um this is going to be different for every single person. I tend to have kind of a bullet list of questions I would like to ask, but I don't keep myself to a script. So I have a, a, a thing of things in mind. Okay, these are some areas I know I would like to cover. And if we get to them, that's great. But um, if the conversation starts to go in a different direction, and in, especially into something more interesting, I don't want to circle back into something that's already been answered or that we've moved past just because it's on a piece of paper. So, you know, some people really like to go by a, an interview list of questions. I'm not one of those people. I tend to have kind of an outline and then see where the conversation goes and, and, and you know, adjust accordingly. As an old lawyer, I can tell you, nothing makes me happier when I'm defending a client in a deposition than seeing that the other lawyer has a script. Because uh, so often they just drive through that script and they never stop and actually listen to the answers. 
it's it's it's, it's, a, it's the safest way to protect a client. Honestly, it, you know, when they're not listening, they don't realize where there's points to follow up, and it happens all the time. It's funny how that overlaps. Do you, now, do you use any technology for the prep, or do you just write it on a piece of paper? Uh, usually, my iPad or my phone. Sure. Back in drafts. Yeah, drafts or or notes app, whatever. Yeah. Um, the iPad is actually really useful for that when I'm doing, this is not as common now at, at Microsoft. Uh, but when I used to do, uh, although sometimes it is, but when I would do like panel interviews, uh, cause I used to do that a whole lot, uh, I would have, you know, my iPad, um, on my, you know, lap and then just kind of, you know, be talking to the person or the panel. And then that would just kind of be where I would, where I would keep my notes. Um, I do a podcast now with uh, Microsoft's uh, CTO, Kevin Scott, who's an amazing guy. He's an amazing technologist. He was early at Google, and then he was at AdMob, and then he was back at Google, and then he was um, he led engineering at LinkedIn uh, for many years, and, and now he's uh, Microsoft's um, all-up uh, CTO, and he's a brilliant guy, really smart, and uh, we do a show called Behind the Tech, and how that show works that he interviews someone in technology, and then he and I talk before and after. And so um, I often like will listen to his interview and take notes on my iPad. And then when he and I are doing recording our segments, you know, I'm re- referring to those notes when he and I are kind of, you know, doing doing our, our, our wrap up at the end. Are you funding using the pencil for stuff like that? Or is it just keyboard and typing? Just the keyboard. I wish that I could use the pencil. And maybe you guys have better suggestions for this than me or maybe listeners out there do. I don't know of any good handwriting recognition iOS apps. Try GoodNotes. Okay. It's a, they just did an update. It's it's very good. Okay. I, I do have GoodNotes, but I, I uh, yeah, because that's always the thing that I struggle with is it's like, I can write it out, but I want it to convert to text. And for instance, I know I can use OneNote. I can do that on um, Windows. Um, but I have, I've struggled to kind of find that, that sort of same experience um, on the iPad. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Well, look, we all have those things that we need to type again and again. And copy and paste is just an inefficient way to keep track of that sort of stuff. Text Expander makes us all more productive by taking care of all those words and phrases for us. Text Expander works in all your apps, so you can use it everywhere. Microsoft Word, Excel, Adobe Illustrator, InDesign, Apple's Pages, the list goes on and on. And all of your snippets are everywhere because Text Expander updates new and edited snippets between your Mac, iPhone, iPad, and Windows PC instantly. So, for instance, say that you have your address as a snippet and then you move. Well, you just put your new address in your phone and when you sit down at your Mac and have to enter your address and do 100 different web forms... It's just there waiting for you. You can spend less time typing and more time doing what you actually want to do. There are a bunch of free snippet groups for people like job recruiters, freelancers, uh, ones with airport codes, brand names, lots of examples over the Text Expander website. You can simply incorporate those into your own Text Expander library. And you don't have to work alone. Text Expander for Teams lets you manage and share those snippets with your coworkers or entire company. So you have common messaging that employees need to send. You can make sure it's always the same with Text Expander. You can stay consistent and you can stay accurate. Show listeners will get 20% off their first year of Text Expander. Just visit textexpander.com/podcast to learn more and be sure to tell them we sent you here at the Mac Power Users. That's textexpander.com/podcast. My thanks to Text Expander for supporting this show and Relay FM. 
So Christina, you mentioned your podcast behind the tech. There's a link to that in the show notes for people to go check out. That looks super interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out myself. But that's not the uh, not the only show you do, is it? No, it's not. So uh, I do a little show here on Relay FM called Rocket accelerated geek conversation with uh, Simone de Rochefort and Brianna Wu. And we recently celebrated 200 episodes, which is amazing. We've been doing it for right at four years. Um, It's one of my favorite things that I've ever done ever. And and I think uh, Brie and Simone would say the same thing. And it's just, um, I feel like our show gets better all the time. And I love it. I, it, you know, we talk about the the tech news of the week, but I think I like to think we come at it from a slightly different perspective than a lot of other tech news shows. Um, it, it's really fun. So, so I, I, so I'm on the inside here. I know how it came together, but how how did the three of y'all uh, get together and decide that? A, tech, a weekly tech show is something that you wanted to bring to the world. So it was funny because Bree and I knew each other. We met on app.net and then we met at WWDC. And, um, you know, then stuff happened, you know, in her personal life with the Gamergate stuff. Um, and she was doing, I guess, Isometric at the time. Mm-hmm. And she reached out to me. And she was like, hey, I kind of want to do this this tech news show. And, and she reached out to me and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. Um and and she reached out to Simone. I didn't know Simone. Simone didn't know me. And so the first time I think that the three of us ever talked might have been like right before we recorded the first episode. So we got really lucky because sometimes you're in those scenarios. And I've been in those scenarios before. I've been fired from podcasts before when I was not deemed somebody who fit in. Um, but uh, where all three of us just kind of meshed. And um, I think we all bring something really unique to the table, you know. Um, and Simone's ad reads are just like the best ever. Uh, Simone's just the best ever. Bria is too. But <laughs> yeah, it, it was just one of those things. It was just like, I liked, I really liked the idea of having kind of a, a, a tech news show from a female perspective. Because not to say that, that that defines who any of us are, but that does give us a slightly different skew on the world. And most of the time when you listen to these types of shows, you know, it's it's like three, you know, dudes talking about their experiences with tech. and. And our experiences and, and our interests are different. And um, I, I would say the same thing would be true if it were, you know, any, anybody else who, who you know, doesn't fit into kind of the traditional thing. So I, I really, uh, I like that. And I like that. I feel like we are doing something that's, you know, slightly off center for, for the rest of, of kind of the, the, the tech news shows out there. And you also do that show with Brett Terpstra that that comes out occasionally. And it comes out occasionally <laughs> overtired, which is a great show. We are we are very long overdue. And that's partially because of my travel schedule. But Brett Terpstra, uh, Brett Terpstra is one of the best people in the world, and and he and I have known each other for over a decade, and we worked together. Uh, you know, when we were both bloggers at the unofficial Apple Web Blog, and and we've been doing that show together for years, and um, that's just basically you know two ADHD adults. Um, talking um it's it's a it's a it's ostensibly about tech but it's also largely about taylor swift and pop culture and just kind of the things that keep us awake at night um it's called overtired because neither of us uh can get enough sleep so it's it's a fun show <laughs> so uh, what, what's your podcast gear just I'm, I'm sure people will be curious yeah sure so um i have a yeti that i use at work if i need to re- record remotely i have a road um uh what is it the a podcaster uh, USB. I do have a Heel PR40, but um, it's not connected right now. Um, I actually just got a Samson, like one of their cheap little remote, um, like a travel podcaster things. It's actually pretty good. 
I was actually really happy with it last week. So I'm going to use that more in my travel kit, um, figure out maybe the best mic placement. But yeah, um, that's, uh, that's my setup. I have a, 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 a Yeti at work, uh, um, a, a Rode at home, and uh, a Samson for uh, on the road because it's so tiny and it fits into a bag. Because the thing is, the way that I'm traveling, I can't travel with like a good mic most of the time. It's just not really going to be feasible. So, right, you know. David and I understand that pain more than most. <laughs> yeah, I actually had, I mean, I don't want to get too inside baseball, but I had a Heil PR40 for a while. It was a used one from a friend, and I never had a preamp that could drive it. it that mic takes a lot it of, does. it takes yeah, a, I, expensive preamp. Yeah, I, had a, I have a Scarlet, uh, I guess, a 2 by 2 or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that'll do it. But yeah, I mean, but it, need, but it needs a lot. And that's why, like, the, the road I've been using for a decade um and it's still kicking so i mean that's what i'm recording on right now because it's just kind of like my my go-to setup i have a a stand my headphones plugged in you know and that's it now something that i've noticed uh since you've taken this new gig is that i frequently see your instagram photos from airplane seats yes you're traveling a lot these days so much oh my god like like i'm literally right after we record this i have to finish doing laundry because i'm flying out to milan uh, which when we set up doing the recording for this show was not scheduled. I found out literally in the middle of my last trip, they were like, Hey, can you go to Milan? I was like, okay. So I- I'm having a real hard time feeling bad. For you right now. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I get it. I-, I think if I had to travel a lot, I would get tired of it really quick, but, but still it's, it's fun to think about jumping on a plane to Milan. But so uh, with all your geek skills, I mean, you've been in this Apple community for a long time. Yes. And you're doing lots of travel now. Can you share any tips with us uh, yes. for your technology or otherwise as we're all planning trips? Definitely. Okay. So um, I have the uh, the AirFly, um, the um, AirPod, uh, I guess like a, a – or iFly, maybe that's what it's called. Whatever uh, whatever the um, USB uh, – or not USB, but a Bluetooth to um, headphone jack um, adapter that 12 South makes – um, that you can plug into your airplane seat and basically use your IFE system with your AirPods or any other Bluetooth headphones. Um, you can use, an, you know, other types of those too, but I, I did like the 12 South one and it, it that's really good. I use that. Um, for headphones, I'm actually, I don't use AirPods because I want something noise canceling. So um, I had the Sony WH-1000 um, XM2 headphones, but I lost them when I was in Atlanta over the holidays. And so I got the XM threes, which are new. They're $350. They're expensive, but they have amazing noise canceling, fantastic battery life and their USB-C charging. And I didn't think that USB-C charging would be one of those things that would make a difference for me. But now that the iPad is USB-C and my MacBook is USB-C, um, I want to keep, you know, as few connectors as possible. So those headphones for noise canceling for battery life are just stunning. They 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 feel great too. They're really comfortable. You could, I wore them, you know, on on um, nineteen hours worth of flights um, each way last week. I'm about to put them on for you know like thirteen fourteen hours worth of flights today. Um, I also would say getting a good USB C battery pack is something that um, is I would recommend to any 
heavy traveler. Uh, what capacity you get is up to you. I got something from a company called um, uh, Sanho. They had like the the hyper juice. It was a Kickstarter. I got it because I was part of the early backers. It's I think available on Indiegogo now, but I'm not. But they seem to be a little bit delayed. It's good. It's expensive, but it's good. Um, uh, Mophi is making one that is not quite as powerful. That is shipping and more readily available. What I like about the what I like about the the Sanho battery is that it actually will do a hundred watt output of USB-C, meaning you could fully charge like at full capacity a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Um, but it'll also output at 60 watts, and it's it's the highest capacity that you can carry on an airplane. You probably don't need all that power, but I really like having a USB-C battery um, because that way it makes it really easy to you know charge your phone, not your phone, charge your, your iPad, charge your laptop, charge your headphones. And then it, the battery also has like a regular USB-A port on it so you can charge your phone too. But I find like having a big battery pack is invaluable because you never know what's going to happen good headphones. Um, and then, uh, you know, downloading content from like Amazon or, or Netflix, uh, or iTunes, you know, before you go is, uh, is one of the things that I do before I leave the house and make sure that I have like movies and books and other stuff loaded. So those are kind of my, my go-to tips, I guess I should say. When I was just coming back from Seattle just last week, as the plane was landing, I, um, this is a funny story, Steve, and I, I took the iPad out of the, like, the pocket in front of the seat as the plane was landing to put it in my bag. And just as I was about to put it in my bag, the pilot hit the brakes, and simultaneously, the magnetic link between the pencil and the iPad failed. <laughs> and the, uh, oh, no. The pencil hit the center of the aisle like a toboggan. Oh, no. And, and as it hit the brakes, it just slid forward like 15 rows. Oh, right no. Right down the center of the aisle. This, <laughs> this perfectly white Apple pencil. And I'm sitting there strapped in. The plane's breaking. I'm just watching it slide forward, just waiting for it to veer left or right so I can just realize I have to buy a new one at that point. Right. You know, but it stayed in the perfect center of the aisle. And so I'm sitting there and I, I leaned out over the seat and kept my head on the pencil the entire time. I like would not look at anything <laughs> else. And because if somebody reached out and grabbed, I wanted to recognize the hand. And then right. as soon as we gated, I unbuckled and ran up 15 aisles and got my pencil. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it was, uh, I love it. It was like, I, I don't know. You couldn't plan it that way. <laughs> no, the, uh, yeah. no, totally. Um, I, I'll be honest. That's one of the reasons why I don't tend to use the pencil on an airplane. Um, I travel with it, but I tend not to take it out because I'm afraid of things like that happening. Even with like the new magnets st- set up, I'm like, nope, going to lose this. That's okay. I didn't have the fear, but now I do. So th- <laughs> thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's ruined for everyone. So, But now when you get on a plane, Christian, do you get do you bring the 13-inch MacBook Pro? I mean, what is the, yeah. the tech loadout when you've got a long flight? Oh, God. Well, I mean, I usually don't take it out, but sometimes I do. Yeah. So my my, lap, my laptop bag is ridiculous. So I, I carry, I, I travel with a Windows laptop and a MacBook just because I need a backup. Um, uh, usually some sort of, you know, little mini hard drive, discs, whatever, cables galore, um, my iPad, um, battery pack, headphones, uh, cable of every type. Um, when I'm flying international, I'm usually flying business class. I'm very lucky that way. And so in that case, if it's a long enough flight, then yeah, I you know can pull out the MacBook and, and work on it. Um, but it just kind of depends. So if I'm doing like a, a one day thing, like if I'm just going to 
San Francisco to record a podcast and I'm coming back the exact same day, I usually don't bring my laptop. Yeah, it's always the question, you know, at what point, you know, and that gets back to the beginning about the iPad and the software constraints. It's like, you know, at what point do you have to bring the big boy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because like in a perfect world, like I could be presenting from PowerPoint, you know, on from from my iPad, you know, using USB-C, but they're just, you know, but but because of some of the demos and the things that I do in the presentation, I can't. So, um, yeah. What's the biggest technology failure you've ever had on a trip? Oh, I've had like full on system crashes before. Uh, this hasn't been at Microsoft, thankfully, knock on wood. Uh, but yeah, I've had full on system crashes, like have to go to the Apple store. Uh, oh, actually, probably the biggest one and beyond that was in 2010, I was on a trip to Miami and I got out of the cab and it was yellow cab and I paid in cash. And I realized as soon as I stepped out of the cab that I had left my iPhone in the cab and I ran out after him and I wasn't able to, to, to track it down. And I had a meeting with somebody. I had a meeting with a PayPal executive that day. And I had to go to the Apple store in South Beach and buy a brand new iPhone 3GS. And they called AT&T and did the whole thing with me. This was before Find My Phone was free. And sign up for Mobile Me again, even though I didn't want it, just so I could get the Find My Phone feature on the new phone. Uh, the Apple Store people were kind; they hugged me. I paid, you know, five, six hundred dollars, whatever, for a new phone because I wasn't, you know, out of my contract. Um, and um, that was pretty bad. That was also before iCloud and any of that. But that story ended up turning out good because. Fast forward about six hours later, I'm at this conference and I get this email from somebody saying, did you lose a phone? And someone in Little Havana, which is very far from South Beach, had found my phone in the back of a cab, um, had tracked down my email, and I wasn't able to meet up with the person to pick up my phone, so he mailed it to me. Stranger. There's still nice people in the yeah, world. He's Canadian, so that's what I'm going to like hold it to because I don't know if an American would have done that. I don't know if I would have mailed. So I, <laughs> I, I would like to think now, now that it's happened to me, I would. I would mail somebody their phone. But that was the worst thing because I literally had to, like, before meetings and whatnot, I literally didn't have my phone. And I literally had to go buy a new phone. Like, that was the worst thing. That was really, that was totally catastrophic. That was. And, and 2010 is when the cloud was still pretty rough. So. Getting your data probably wasn't that easy. Uh, no, I couldn't get my data because there was no iCloud. It was Mobile Me, so they didn't even have the backup system then. You know, like yeah, it was yeah. So I was really lucky that I was then able to get you know a new phone, get get my old phone back, and not have to go through the whole process of restoring and and you know from an iTunes backup and all that stuff. I mean, it was yeah, it was uh, that was not great. So uh, now that's one of those things I always try to like check and make sure that I, I know where things are, that I have backups of things. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off. With 1Password, you only ever really need to memorize just one password. All your other passwords and important information are protected by your master password, which you only know. Once you install 1Password, all your logins and private documents are securely locked in your 1Password vault. This keeps your information locked away from thieves, hackers, and all the other unsavory types out there on the internet. And gang, there's a lot of unsavory types. Just in this past week, it was announced there's a collection of 773 million compromised email logins. It's out there, all the bad guys already have it, and they're using it. About 140 million of those email addresses had never appeared before in these hacked lists. Yours might be one of them. 
password makes it easy to find out. They have integration with the Have I Been Owned website in their Watchtower service. It's right in the application, so it'll take a look at your passwords and let you know if there's a problem. One of the things I love about 1Password is that you're not just getting a great password application, you're also getting a group of people looking out for you and adding features to that application to help protect you from all the various ways the bad guys are trying to get into your data. So if you've got 1Password already, go in and check your Watchtower alerts to see if you got caught up in this latest data breach. And if you don't have 1Password, go get it. It's a great way to protect yourself and your data. Just head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps and you'll get 20% off. Thank you, 1Password, for all of your support. So uh, let's wrap this up by talking about some of your favorite apps. What are those go-to things for you day to day? Okay, so Visual Studio Code has become my favorite text editor. And I honestly, it shocks me. I was a text mate diehard for a really, really long time. And Visual Studio Code, yes, it's Electron. No, I'm not going to apologize for loving it. It is a great app. It's actually funny. Before I started working at Microsoft, I was on a flight to CES, and I this guy I'm sitting next to him, and I see his code editor, and I tap him on the shoulder, and I was like, "Look, I swear to God, I'm not trying to be creepy, but what is what code editor are you using?" He was like, "Oh, it's Visual Studio Code," and I was like, "Huh." That's pretty cool. And that was before it had even added some of the other things they have now. Um, if you're looking for a really extensible text editor that's open source, that's actively developed, that has a huge community around it, I highly recommend it. There's even a great um, Apple Script um, extension. If, uh, if you want to do Apple scripting stuff, there's some other people who've written extensions for iOS development and whatnot. I love VS Code. Um, I have said, I don't know, you know, if they are, I, I don't think they're a sponsor this week. They might have been a sponsor in the past. I can assure you this is completely unprompted and natural. I love Setup. Um, I have a Setup subscription and I've discovered so many really good Mac apps using Setup. Um, things that I, I wouldn't have bought otherwise. Like there's a, an app called Tables Plus, which there was a, uh, you know, there, there's been an app for years called um, uh, SQL which is just like a really good kind of a MySQL client for Mac OS. Um, but it hasn't been updated in a long time and it only supports uh, MySQL, whereas Tables Plus is like a database management app. It'll support, um, but, but it supports a bunch of different database types. It's really good. It's frequently updated. I discovered that app because of uh, Setup, and and I wouldn't have otherwise. But like it supports, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, SQLite and and uh, uh, Microsoft SQL Server, and um, you know, MySQL and Redis and Cassandra and a bunch of other things. And so, if you ever do anything with databases, I highly recommend um, Tables Plus. That's one that I use a lot. I also use um, Text Soap a lot because I do a lot of times like. I have to write things in a certain way for one of our CMSs and then things need to be written in a different way for the YouTube like text entry system. And rather than wanting to write them both ways, I just use like a regex and I use text soap to kind of format the text as I need to. So can I just put a plus one on that? We haven't talked about text soap on this show in years, but I use that all the time. I mean, like even if you just grab text from the internet totally. that you want to put somewhere, uh, text soap is a little app and it's part of the set app subscription and it just cleans all the garbage out of the text, all the extra code and carriage returns and all that. Yeah, it'll, it'll do that. And, and, and you can also have it set to run like a regex um, or, or some other scripts um, really easily over selected stuff. I love it. Um, 
you're dead on. Like it's one of those things I knew about it and I maybe had used it years ago, but I'd forgotten about it. I use that all the time. Um, yeah, but set up in general, I just have to say, I've really discovered some really good, good apps that way. Uh, speci- speaking of uh, regex, there's an app called Expressions, which is like a really good way to build regular expressions. So that's one um, that I use. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Bear Notes is really good. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm a drafts person on iOS, but but I but I think Bear has a really beautiful app. And um, but uh, I clearly like text editors a lot because I, I keep mentioning, you know, text apps. <laughs> I was going to say, I was pasting these links and I was like, text editor, text editor, text editor. What can I say? <laughs> I, I, that's, that's me. Christina, you're, you're among family here. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I think you said something really interesting about set app. And I feel the same way that it sort of gives me the freedom to try apps that I, I wouldn't necessarily go try on my own or even discover totally. apps that I wouldn't have known exists. It's a, it's a really uh, helpful service if you kind of like, I, I got these like issues on my Mac problems I need to solve. I'm not sure how to do it. Sometimes just perusing what's in setup will be enough to jumpstart the process. Yeah. And I've even been surprised sometimes where I've like looked at, I've, I've heard about an app and I was like, oh, I'm going to get this. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is on setup, you know? And uh, it, so it's, it's, it's great. Um, you know, I know some people are kind of, oh, there's an app called Downy. I use this all the time. It's basically a, 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 a GUI front end for a YouTube DL and it'll let you like download YouTube videos or Vimeo videos or other things. And um, a lot of times for, for things that um, I'm, when I'm creating assets for one of my shows where I'm referencing other videos that we've put on our channel, I want to like be able to get the video assets to the editor and like it's honestly faster to use that than it is to go through our cloud system, like, you know, on our NAS. That also works, by the way, if you want to travel. I mean, Completely. you can download a bunch of YouTube stuff and watch it on a plane. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So, Well, Christina, I'm so glad we were able to get some of your time. I know how busy you are, and I'm, and I think I, Steve and I are both really happy for uh, the, the, the turns you have taken and, and the way things are going for you. Yeah, thank you so much. I was so glad to be here. And, and uh, I'm just glad that I still get to use a Mac, you know, like, I didn't think that I was going to be bad. I, I knew I would still be a Mac user. But it's actually been really exciting for me to be able to you I have like enterprise Mac experience now I, I've, I've like used Intune sometimes and know the the pains and pleasures of trying to print from corporate printers, you know, as a Mac user um, <laughs> in, in an enterprise environment, which I hadn't really had before. So um Glad to always uh, be back and, and to talk with you both. All right. So, uh, Christina Warren, you're over at Microsoft. Any place uh, on Twitter or you know, where should people go if they want to keep up with you? So you want to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, at film underscore girl. Uh, I tweet a lot, uh, usually about pop culture and tech things and some other stuff. Uh, my Instagram is, is also film underscore girl. If you want to see the videos that I do at work, um, you can go to youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. Uh, I have a really fun show that I, I do every week called This Week in Channel 9, uh, where I, uh, I would like to wear wear uh, nerdy shirts every week. And um, I actually think it's a pretty good show. It's, it's an overview of kind of, you know, tech developer centric news. And um, I uh, obviously am a, a co-host on Rocket on, uh, on this very network on Relay FM. Yeah. And I recommend everybody who's into Instagram follow Christina because she does so much travel that she puts some great pictures up. And so I always enjoy uh, your stories when you're on the road. So hopefully I'll be looking at Milan, Milan tomorrow. Yes, yes, yes. You definitely will. You, you definitely will. All right, uh, so we're the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Stephen, where can folks find you? 
uh, 512pixels.net. All right. And I'm over at maxsparky.com. I'm going to put a shout out from my Instagram account, too. I've been doing a lot more of that lately. Um, I'm at maxsparky on Instagram. If you want to follow me there, I hope you enjoyed. I had a lot of fun last week. I went to the NOM show and, and a bunch of pictures of me playing saxophones and just kind of good times. And uh, Stephen, are you, do you do Instagram? I do. I'm over there as Stephen M. Hackett. All right. Well, check that out. Thank you to our sponsors, Hover, Luna Display, Smile, and 1Password. And thank you again, Christina, for coming and sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll see you all next week. 